This is Christian Questions. Margaret Thatcher once said, In politics, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we are truly glad you've chosen to spend some time with us this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what's going on here today? What's happening? What's our subject? Well, Rick, our question this morning is, should we be gender neutral? Part 1. And our theme text is found in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Oh boy. (laughs) Here we go, right into the belly of the beast called equality. Now, why do I call it a beast? Calm down, people. (laughs) Because I believe that gender equality is grossly misrepresented and misunderstood. I believe in equality, but I do not believe that men and women should in all things be consistently measured with the same yardstick. We are different. Science proves this. So, what are the gender roles that are biblical? Should these roles be updated? After all, the world is in an entirely different place than it was back then. Or is it? (laughs) Folks, stay with us this morning. This should be a very interesting subject. Should we be gender neutral? And, Jonathan, those words are just packed with political correctness and all of these oh, kinds of they things. they are, Rick. And that's why we're bringing it up, because the Bible is not gender neutral. It is not even remotely close to being gender neutral. Well, there are many that don't want to hear that. Well, sorry. <laughs> this is Christian Questions. We talk about the Bible, and I'm just telling you what the Bible is. So the question is, how do we take what the Bible is and what it teaches and apply it in the 21st century. Should we apply it all in the 21st century? Is a lot of what the Bible says about, especially in Christianity, about the roles of men and women uh, within within Christianity, is that outdated because it was cultural? Or are we supposed to be abiding by those things now? So folks, that's where we're going this morning. This is going to be a two-part program because there's way too much to talk about in just two hours. Yes, there is. Folks, uh, if you want to get on board and uh, give us some of your thoughts and comments, we'd love to hear from you. Whichever side of the issue you fall onto, it is 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Jonathan, I want to start with the basic premise that uh, men and women are different. And I want to start with that basic premise from a very basic scientific uh, perspective. We're going to go to to a a YouTube clip we found from the World News Department about the brains of men and women. 
take a look at this. It's the results of a study of male and female brains, and it could solve the age-old debate about whether men really are better at reading maps and women are better at multitasking. You can see the man's brain at the top here and the woman's brain at the bottom. So quite different connections going on there in between. All this research is from the University of Pennsylvania, and it's found that men and women's brains are wired, as you can see, in completely different ways, as if they were a completely different species, maybe even from different planets, as the saying goes. So see? men are aliens, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it is a fact that men's brains, for the most part, are wired one way, and women's brains are wired entirely differently. And we'll, we'll develop that as we go, but, th but that, that's, the, the, that's the, the physiology of the human brain. So with that on the table sort of as a basis, mm -hmm. um, let's take a look at the original setup and the original relationship between men and women. And le let's go back to Genesis as we've done so often on this program uh, to establish that original setup and relationship scripturally. We looked at it scientifically very, very briefly, and now let's look at it scripturally. Gen scripturally. Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 25. The man gave names to all the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So it's a very, and you know, a lot of people look at this as well, well that's very nice and poetic, and I believe that that's the way that God did it. Literally. Yes, and it says that there was no helper found for Adam, so you know, Adam needed his little helper, and so God created women. Sometimes people look at it that way. But now let's take a look a little further at the result of that. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, God knew ahead of time that no helper would be found and created man and woman uh, in, the con in this particular context to accentuate the interconnected relationship that was to be between a man and a woman. God knew. God created Adam without Eve on purpose. So he would understand that once Eve was, was, was brought to him uh, as his co-equal, and I'm going to say that at this point, and even though the, the word helper didn't sound like that, but we're going to get into that in a minute, that he would have such a, a, an appreciation for her. Absolutely. And I think that's part of why we see the creation... Um, how precious she really was. Yes, exactly. And, and there's, a great, there's a great quote here from David McKay uh, about this, this uh, process. Women were created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, not from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. And I think that that really kind of hits home at, at, the, at, the, at the poetry of the creation account. Uh, but let's let's get into a little bit more of the the, the practicality of it. Does Eve does it say that Eve was created uh, as as a helper for Adam? I mean, yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. So what does it mean? Is it a helper who's one who's less experienced, one with less authority, one who's inferior? Um, and this is where we have a lot of the basis for the big debates. 
and Jonathan, in the Christian world, there's a big debate that uses some big words. And it's the debate of complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Say what? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, m- folks, maybe some of you are familiar with those words. Uh, so we looked around and tried to find somebody who could define both of those sides for us. And, and it's hard to find anybody who's going to define both sides without being sort of in on one side or the other. Okay. And a little bit biased, but hey, you know, we do the best you can. But this, this is from, uh, we found this on YouTube. This is a, 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 a woman uh, preacher from uh, Yeshua Loves You Too uh, talking about, uh, the, and, and you know which side of the, the issue she falls on because the title is The Lies of Complementarianism. Okay. <laughs> but she's going to define it for us here. Let's listen. Complementarianism is the belief and teaching Okay, they don't just believe it, but they also teach it and live it out in their lives as best as they can. Uh, The belief that women are basically not equal in Christ, we're subordinated, and that we're not to teach the Word of God, preach the Word of God, have any kind of leadership role or authority, particularly over a man. We may have some limited roles of authority, if it is delegated by a man or overseen by a man. And, you know, it gets into to deeper things, but that's the gist of it in a nutshell, okay? Uh, she certainly couldn't be a pastor or anything like that. And this, this is where this concept comes from. It's called complementarianism. All right, now, I, I want to say a few things. Um, first of all, as she defines it, I will tell you that um, for the most part... Uh, I would stand on the side of the issue of being a complementarianist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, the way she defines it, I think, goes a little bit overboard, far beyond what I think the scriptures teach. Um, I believe that, and, and, and folks, we're going to get into this as we go. So if we say something, you go, oh, how can you believe that? Love to hear from you on it, because that's what this is about, is talking about a very difficult subject in the context of Scripture. And again, our number is 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. So personally, Jonathan, I believe that women should not teach within the context of the church. To the congregation. Right. Okay. And I also believe that the man is supposed to be the head of the house. Okay. Okay, so you look at that and say, oh, isn't that sexist and all of that? Well, if you want to look at it that way, yeah, I guess you can say that. Uh, But I believe that because I believe that's what the scriptures teach, and I don't believe the scriptures need to be altered because we live in the 21st century. So that's a whole mouthful right there at the very beginning. It is, it is. All right, so now how do do we go go through all this? Well, let's, let's go back to the creation story for a moment because I think there's a great value there. Uh, remember it said, for Adam there was not found a helper? Yes. In the, in the King James Version it said, not found a help meet. Mm-hmm. What does that word actually mean? Well, Rick, it means help. It means succor. It means one who helps. Okay. And you say, all right, well, that could be, you know, your little, your little uh, gopher person. You know, you, every, you know, a lot of people, you, you have a gopher in the office. Okay, go, go for coffee, go for this, go for that. Um, I don't know if that's really what it means. Um, because succor means relief and aid. It, it, it's a care. It's working together. So let's look at another way that word is used in the scriptures and, and help us to understand the value of this, quote, helper or help meet. Psalm 21, verses 1 and 2. 
I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So who's the helper in this scripture? God, <laughs> All right. the creator. So, so let, let's put to rest immediately that when you use that word, it means, oh, somebody of less, lesser value. God is our helper. Same word. So let's not let's not say that. Oh, you know, you're you're minimizing women by saying that Adam was created first and then Eve was his little helper. No, 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 no. You're right. This this word has a much bigger, much more valuable meaning than just that. Now, God's original intent for His created man and woman had no indications of a relationship built around dominance. That's true. Okay, or one of um. One over the other, but rather it was to be based on equality, mutual respect, and it was, in fact, a complementary relationship. Absolutely. So, and, and that, that's one of the, when you say, are you a complementarian, and yes, because I think that's what the original intention was. So let's go back to Yeshua loves you too, um, and have her define for us the other side of the issue, egalitarianism. Then there's the other side of the equation, which is called egalitarianism. And the egalitarian view is that a woman is a co-equal. She is made that way by Christ and in Christ. As the Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female in Christ. Uh, and they believe in the equality of females a woman can teach, a woman can preach, a woman can be in a position of authority, even over a man, and she could be a pastor. So, these are the two opposing views, embraced by the church. They are diametrically opposed to one another. Make no mistake about it, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. They can't both be right. Actually, Jonathan, I think they both are right. You do? <laughs> Well, in, that's interesting. In, in, in How some, can they? In some ways. If you took the first part of her description, I agree with it entirely, wholeheartedly. Women and men are co-equal in Christ. They were made that way by Christ. They were very clearly defined that way by Christ. Mm -hmm. So I do absolutely, fully, personally embrace that part of the viewpoint of egalitarianism. But I also believe that men and women are built differently to fulfill different roles, the complementarian way as well. So he's right and he's right. How can they both be right? <laughs> hey, you're also right. Just quoting from the fiddler on the roof there. You know, the idea is I think that there are valuable scriptural points and perspectives on both sides of this issue. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should We Be Gender Neutral? Part 1. Coming up, just how bad is the New Testament when it comes to minimizing women? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should we be gender neutral? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, 
ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we go through this discussion on gender roles and so forth, uh, it's a hard discussion to have. It's difficult, and you know, we, we came out and sort of put ourselves in showing a, a specific perspective. Yes, yes. And, folks, just as a hint, before we go any further, you think, well, okay, are, are, are we of the mind that women should be silent in all things? Let me ask you a very pointed question. Uh-oh. When you're not here, who sits in for you? Uh, Kathy. Okay. Enough said, all right? <laughs> just, just so that we, we understand, you know, th- and how do we do that, and do, is that justifiable by Scripture? I think absolutely it is, and we're going to unfold all that as we go. But here's the problem. The problem is that the history of the subject of male dominance is broad, and it's very difficult, and it's very sad in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. And many look at the Scriptures as feeding an unjust and brutal treatment of women, now look, in, in a lot of, just like with slavery, remember, you know, 150 years ago, uh, there were many Christian preachers who would preach the value of slavery from Scripture. How sad. They were wrong. They were wrong. They were misapplying Scripture. Absolutely, positively, they were wrong. So there, is a, there, there, there was a domestic violence chart developed in the 1980s called the Wheel of Power and Control. As a matter of fact, we have that in Seeker Rewind's bonus material. Okay, so, only at ChristianQuestions.com. And to get Seeker Rewind, the full edition, you need to, to sign up for it. You can do that at ChristianQuestions.com. A lot of great stuff in there, uh, and there's, there, there's a lot of points here that we're not going to be able to go over. You want to see that wheel to understand it. Right. There are those who cite several scriptures as feeding this dominance. There are eight p- parts to this wheel of dominance. And um, we're going to look at parts of this wheel and the scriptures that they associate to see if there's any justification for linking of those scriptures with domestic violence. All scripture links are not going to be discussed because we won't have the time to do it. Right. All right. So we're going to get into that in the first few areas on this wheel of dominance that was developed in the 1980s. And, and it's a disturbing wheel when you look at it. Mm-hmm. Because you know it's real, and you know it's true, and you know people abuse their whatever authority they might have, and you know people are being abused by that. And that's plain wrong, and I don't absolutely do not believe the scriptures uh, teach that. Let's get back to, though, uh, another soundbite from this um, Yeshua Loves You Too uh, on the lies of complementarianism, and, and she's going to develop the thinking a little bit more. Well, not speak out against complementarianism. Even when they know that the scripture is clear, that we are co-equals in Christ, that we can do... Look, if I as a woman, the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I I don't see any limitations on that in the scripture. So if you're going to believe the complementarian view, that scripture cannot be true. The Bible simply says, let God be true and every man be a liar. Somebody lying, y'all. Either the complementarians are lying, or the egalitarians are lying. And you know which side she thinks is lying. But, yeah. but and here's the thing, Jonathan. Uh, I would, if I had to choose one of those labels to stand under, mm-hmm. I would choose the complementarian label. Yeah, me too. All right. And when you say that, you know, that scripture can't be true, and I say, no, 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 you, you entirely misunderstand the scripture, you entirely misunderstand what complementary relationship is. 
we're going to be working with that as we go through the program. Folks, if you have a thought, you have a perspective, and I know you do, if you have a perspective on the gender roles scripturally and in our world today, and do they match or should they match, let us know. We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free 866-985-4ALL. Again, we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Rick, this is one time that I think all things, the word all, she takes too far. Well, and I, I agree with you. And as a matter of fact, later on in the program, we're going to address exactly that scripture later okay. on, because I think it needs to be addressed. One of the points in, the, in that wheel of, of uh, power and control is intimidation. Uh, detailed comments as this program unfolds will show how these admonishing verses fit into an overall lifestyle of submission for all. Meanwhile, by themselves, they can come across harshly. Okay, so we're going to read the verses that this individual, as she's explaining this wheel of power and control, she puts these scriptures and says, see, the Bible is pushing that. Titus, And this is under intimidation. Titus 2, 3 to 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, th- none of that is intimidating. No, it's not. Not yet. <laughs> to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so they take that and say, see, if you're not subject to your husband, then you're going to dishonor the word of God. You don't want to dishonor the word of God, do you? Then be subject to your husband. So that's intimidation. Y- yeah. and I can From cer- her viewpoint. Right. And you can certainly see how somebody can... Make that an intimidating statement. Okay. You do this or else. That, that, I see. That does qualify, can qualify as intimidation. 1 Corinthians 14.35 is another verse that they list under the heading of intimidation. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. <laughs> now, that, that's pretty intimidating. That is. Okay. Be it's, silent. Right, right. right. That, is that what it's saying? It, it, it certainly sounds that way. And again, that's a scripture that needs to be explained. We're not yes. going to do a lot of explaining here. And believe me, this is hard for me. <laughs> to, I know it is. To not do a lot of explaining <laughs> while, we're, while we're going through these. 1 Peter 3.7 is another scripture that they list under the heading of intimidation on this uh, wheel of power and control. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So again, you understand your wife because she's just weaker. Just get it. And again, if you're on the receiving end of that, saying, oh, okay, so I'm not as valuable as you. And uh, I'm I'm weaker, so therefore, again, so that's intimidation. Well, and you can certainly see how you can take that and you can use it as as a as a heavy weight to push somebody around with. And the whole point of the scriptural guidance. See, here I go trying to explain it. I'm going to stop. Okay. Like I'm going to stop Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're going to read the next scripture, uh, which is First Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So, again, you can see that as, as being used as a tool of intimidation, because it's saying, see... Eve was the one who deceived. So it is the woman's fault. <laughs> See, actually, I don't think it is. Right. But, but that, don't explain I'm it. That's right. I'm, I'm not going to explain wait. it. That's right. I'm going to wait. I'm going to... I can't do this. <laughs> 
It's like I got to sit on my hands too. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, um, they're they're moving all around. I know. Here. It's like <laughs> so. So these were the scriptures that were listed uh, by this individual. She wrote a book about all of this, and um, un, and that's what got my attention. Is that there's this this honest to goodness viewpoint that the scriptures are very pro-man and very intimidating toward women. And so we really believe, that, and that's why this ended up being a two-part program. Because there's so much. Yes, there's, there's way too much to just deal with in, in, in one two-hour session here. So let, let's go to another soundbite here. This is from Lynn Kohik from Regent College. And she is explaining women, uh, church, and being a mom. And, and listen really carefully to the way she describes things. There are some churches who, in an effort to salvage or save what they see as very valuable about uh, women, that is, that they want to promote the title of mother or the responsibility of mother, what they can do, I think, sometimes is kind of reify that as the highest goal for women. And, and I think even more, maybe make mother a job, like a job description. Evangelical women especially are given this horrible choice of either pursue a career and self-actualize or be a mom. Well, you know, but first you got to get married and then, then you got to be able to either have your own baby or, or adopt a baby or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things you are not in control of <laughs> in order to be a mom, you know. And, and the thing that, that strikes me on that is they give these women a horrible choice Either be a mom or self-actualize and develop a career. And I, ha- I have to explain something here, okay? Because I have a, hard, a really hard time with that. Okay. So what she's basically saying is you can't become, quote, self-actualized if you don't develop a career but you raise children. Which I think is the most hideous, ludicrous thing I've ever heard. Because what you're saying is you're, by, by choosing a path in life to dedicate your life to the raising of your children is 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 not as good as having a career. Come on, let's be real. Okay? Let let's let's say you know what? It's a wonderful thing to do. Now, am I against women having careers? No. Not at all. But we need to put it all in perspective. Again, folks, if you have a thought, it's a tough one. It's 866-985-4255 toll free. 866-985-4 all. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on right now. Go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, we're looking at this Wheel of Power and Control. We read several scriptures that they, they list under the uh, heading of intimidation. Let's go down to uh, three other headings in this, in this segment just to list out the scriptures, and then we're going to begin describing them and explaining them. Coercion and threats is another section in this Wheel of Power and Control. And, folks, coercion and threats, never good at any time under any circumstance. But what they do is they put 1 Timothy 2.15 under that heading. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-reliance. Self-restraint. Thank you. Self-restraint. <laughs> so it's saying it's, 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 it's a threat because you'll be preserved through bearing of children. What does that mean? We'll get to that later. If you do this, so if you don't do this, then you're going to suffer over here. That's a threat. Okay, and you can certainly see that if that is in fact what the scripture actually means. 
that's a whole different story. I'll get to that and not <laughs> pretty soon. It I now. <laughs> pretty soon, I promise. <laughs> Next area of this wheel of of um, power and control is minimizing, denying, and blaming. Blaming. And again, this is not good stuff. First uh, Timothy two fourteen. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. All right. And again, that was also under the intimidation heading as well. And some of these appear a a couple of times, but minimizing, denying, and blaming. Blaming Eve, uh, minimizing her because, oh, she was created second, and denying the fact that Adam was, you know, in in fact responsible. Uh, John 8, chapter 3 to 5. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her... In the center of the court, they said to her, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act, now in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And now, Jonathan, just a quick comment on this scripture. This account in John, the beginning of John chapter 8, was not actually authentic in earlier in the earlier and most reliable manuscripts. So it was spurious. Yeah, I don't believe it, it actually. It was e- added yeah, and it shouldn't have been. Much, 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 you know, hundreds of years later. So okay. we'll leave that at that. The next heading on, on this wheel of uh, power and control is isolation. 1 Timothy 2.11 is placed under that heading. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Okay, so quietly receiving instruction, being entirely submissive, gives you a sense of isolation. And First Corinthians fourteen thirty three and 34. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to be kept silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. So basically, if you're not permitted to speak, you're basically, you're being isolated from everybody else because your your personal communication is being cut out, cut down, and, and entirely minimized. Now, the question is, and I don't know how I got through this segment without explaining any of these because it kills me. <laughs> Do these scriptures actually mean what they're saying they mean or do they mean something entirely different? That's what we have to focus on. We have to try to get to the true meaning of the scriptures by looking at them in the context of what they were uh, being, what was being said, and why. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject: Should we be gender neutral? Part one. Coming up: Is the woman's role really to be quiet, submissive, no teaching in the church, and having no authority? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should We Be Gender Neutral? Part 1. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website christianquestions.com all right jonathan uh now we get to get into the description and and explanation of some of these scriptures you are so happy i am man (laughs) because it kills me to just put scriptures into a category like that and just sort of leave them hanging there because honestly they don't belong there what they where they belong is in a place of understanding and when you put the scriptures in a place of understanding you go aha 
now it makes sense. And that's what our the rest of our program today is going to be dedicated to. So, folks, just want to tell you right now, if for the second hour we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us for that second hour because there's so much to come in the second hour that we can't cover right now. Let's get back to um, the World News Department report about men and women's brains um, just to uh, get a sense of how is a man's brain wired, and you know, Jonathan, pay close attention to this. Okay, I will. All right. Uh, and we take a, a closer look at the male brain first. You can see the, the nerve fibers there in blue. The connections tend to run on the left or the right-hand side of, of the brain. These are the hemispheres. Uh, and you can also see that on the right-hand side how they're fairly evenly dispersed throughout the brain. The Okay, so that's a short, sweet, you know, our, our, our connections in our brain, the way we think, tends to be hemispheric, uh, um, uh, unique. Okay. I just made that up. And that was that, very That's good. why it doesn't make that much sense. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that the things on the emotional side of the brain stay on the emotional side, and things on the logical side of the brain stay on the logical side. Okay. Okay, and just, we, we just tend to stay in one or the other. We don't mix the two a lot. Okay. All right. That, that's, a, that's a man's way of, uh, of, of seeing things. Now, in, in those verses that we were talking about uh, last segment, Jonathan, under the headings of intimidation, coercion, minimizing, and isolation, one set of scriptures came up under uh, every single heading. That's right. And that was 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Mm-hmm. So we want to take that scripture and we want to put it in perspective um, one verse at a time. And we're going to go slow with this because there's a lot to talk about here. Actually, before we do that, though, why don't we go to the phones? All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Thank you for your Bible study. Well, you have a tough one. Yeah, it's fun. This is challenging. I've seen so much controversy and, uh, you know, debates and uh, disappointments and splitting, and (laughs) you name it, on this issue. Yeah, a uh, couple of things. Number one, I think uh, I've uh, we've been through this before, and to me, uh, uh, one scripture that is uh, very uh, to the point, and this is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, starts out at the beginning. The issue, the, the, the matter of hierarchy, mm-hmm. God, Jesus, the church, etc., down the line, we can't uh, all be captains of the ship. Uh, number two, uh, it's just a cute thing. Uh, uh, the children used to uh, listen to Shirley Temple years ago, one of the Shirley Temple episodes. And uh, in the uh, in the uh, scenario, uh, young Shirley, the child, she's amazed by the fact that a duck laid an egg. And the nanny uh, ridiculed her. So what's so good about a duck laying an egg? Well, uh, rebutted uh, uh, young Shirley. She said, can you lay an egg? <laughs> God bless. Thanks, Thank Julius. <laughs> Bye-bye. 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 Uh, what a, that's actually an incredibly great point because there are things that women can do and do that men just can't. Right. And what's so great? Well, can you do it? <laughs> exactly. So, Julius, thanks so much for the thoughts. We, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, he talked about hierarchy and mm. there's something to be said for having order. And we're going to begin to develop that again through this program. So, Julius, again, thanks, thanks so much. Jonathan, let's start with First Timothy chapter two. Uh, we're going to look at verses eleven through fifteen, but let's start with just verse eleven. A woman must quietly receive instruction, 
with entire submissiveness. Now that sounds just so limiting, so narrowing, so intimidating in some ways. It does. So, and there's two words that really need to be carefully understood in that verse. Quietly and submissiveness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the word for quietly, what, what, what does that mean? Stillness, dissonance from bustle or language. Now, dissonance from bustle or language. Think, <laughs> look, we're just reading the definition. Okay. Also, properly keeping one's seat. Okay, so let's take a and, and people look at this verse, this particular verse, and they get offended by it. You know, we you're saying women can't speak up and they have to be entirely submissive. So they have a problem with the Apostle Paul here, huh? Well. Yes, in some ways, and when they say it's, it's, this, this is a cultural verse, this was only because their culture needed to hear this at that point in time, that's the way culture worked. Okay. See, I don't believe that to be the case, but what we want to establish is what the verse really means. So this verse can come across, and I can understand how it can come across offensive if you take it by itself. Let's take a look at another verse, and as we read this verse, folks, ask yourself, you're, you're a Christian, you're reading this verse. Does this verse offend you in any way? Because it's talking about the church in general. For even when we were with you, this we command you. If any will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear of some that walk among you disorderly, that work not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Okay, so that verse is showing an important contrast in behavior. We, all of us, can be busybodies, or is our conduct becoming to Christianity? Are we spending our time talking about and, and involving ourselves in the lives of others when we should be doing other things? So when it says they, should, we should, as, as, as Men Christians... Men and women. Right. Have quietness in our lives. It's the same word. Mm-hmm. So it's saying, when it's talking about a woman must be quiet, it's saying you shouldn't be a busybody. Now, is anybody offended by that? I don't think so. There are people who think gossip is the greatest thing this, this world has ever seen. Oh. But, but outside of them, you know, as a Christian, that's not offensive. And that's what the word actually means. It doesn't mean be quiet like zip your lip. What it means is be quiet as in don't get involved in, 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 in the lives of others the way you shouldn't be involved because in the lives of others. Because evil speaking is the result of gossip. Right. Now, the, this thought of quietly working and minding your own business is exactly what the Apostle is teaching here. How do we know that? And you say, well, look, it says be quiet. Well, you know what? Let's look at context. Let's go back a couple of verses in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Likewise, I want to women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for the women making a claim to godliness. So he's talking about doing good works, just like in Second Thessalonians, he's talking about doing your work and not being a busybody. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. So when it says a woman must be quiet, it doesn't mean you can't speak, but it says a woman must be quiet as all, and I'm going to paraphrase this in a big, big, big way, as all Christians must be quiet, meaning we must not be busybodies about the lives and business and gossiping about other people. Sure, sure. That's what that word really means. Let's go back to um, 
that uh, a soundbite from the World News Department and get the little sense on the woman's brain. And then once we get that sense on the woman's brain, I want to bring a woman in here uh, to make a comment on this whole thing. And that woman is my dear wife, Trish. And so we're not going to we're not going to make her zip her lip this time. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I'm going to be in such trouble when I go home. Oh, I'm telling boy. you. All right, let's go to this soundbite. If we contrast that with the, the female brain, uh, you can see that in orange there are many more connections between the two halves of the brain and also that they are much more concentrated there at the front uh, of, the, of the brain as well. Now what does all that mean? Well, it uh, does mean that uh, male brains are hardwired for perception and for action uh, and female brains tend to be much more concentrated uh, on the kind of emotional intelligence, the heart and mind thought processes that we, I guess, know about. Okay, so in that soundbite, it talks about male brains are much more hardwired for perception and action, and female brains are hardwired for what he calls emotional intelligence. And uh, you know what that means, Jonathan? What's that mean, Rick? You're emotionally not very smart. <laughs> And you're probably right. Well, and so am I. I mean, that's a, and, and there, there's a different way of thinking that happens inside of a woman's brain than inside of a man's brain. And, you know, to be hardwired for perception and action is great, but it's not complete. To be hardwired for emotional intelligence, that complements the hardwiring uh, on the other side. Now, you know, we've been talking sort of uh, harshly about, about the, you know, the, the way people look at the scriptures and all of that. But what about, you know, women's liberation and all? And, and you know, t to get a little bit of a perspective on that, Trish, uh, who is our call screener and my wife, um, I just asked her to, to just give, her, give a perception and, a, and some thoughts on its, the role of women's liberation today and, and what it's brought us or what it hasn't brought us. Oh, good morning. Well, good morning, hon. Um, well, from a woman's perspective, I mean, thank the good Lord for women's liberation um, from the standpoint of the balancing out some of the inequities. I, boy, I'd just like to say that um, the inequities of our society is not because the Bible or the Word of God is, not, is inequitable. It has nothing to do with that. It's because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Our society is inequitable. It's not based on godly, true godly principles. So over the years, it's gotten so off track, and by God's grace, he has allowed us to see these things and as a society bring more balance and, get, and give women and other human beings the rights and um, godly rights that are um, from God. So I think that it's just a matter of women's liberation is bringing society back to where God would want it to be but it has gone overboard. So it, it starts out good, but then it kind of swings the other way into extreme, and it's created a lot of other problems. So that would be the one thing. Uh, you know, but women, Christian women, face a lot of challenges because I yeah. would agree with, um, you know, the scriptural uh, perspective of women in the church. Um, but yet we will go into the workplace and we are presidents and CEOs and supervisors. Yep. So it doesn't mean that you can't do those things. But as I was listening to the quotes of scripture, even about women being submissive, etc., etc., if you take those principles to any person in the workplace and you truly put them toward your fellow co-workers, even if you're the president and you apply them as God intended, mm -hmm. 
we'd all be better off. It doesn't mean that you have to be this doormat. It means being a a person of righteousness and integrity. All right, and and you know, and and folks, you got to understand the value of putting all of that in perspective. Um, it, it, thanks, Trisha. It, it's it's incredibly valuable because you we understand that it's like making it's like having chocolate. Chocolate is a good thing. Oh yeah, and it's good for you. Oh. It's good for your heart, the dark chocolate. chocolate. But you don't make a diet of chocolate. That's the difference. That would be a problem. And that's what happened is is masculinity has been so minimized, you've you've overblown, you've overshot the target. And you've got to back away from that overshooting of the target and say, hey, let's find what it all is supposed to be and what it's all supposed to mean. Thanks, Trish. We appreciate it. Uh, Jonathan, this, this other word in, in um, 1 Timothy 2.11 was submissiveness. And, and what does that word mean? The act of subjecting obedient subjection. And you say, oh, see, women have to be in subjection. Well, in 2 Corinthians 9.11-13, we're not going to read it. It's talking about the body of Christ being generous to one another. And it says, through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience. Same word. So the word that's applied, these two words, quietly means don't be a busybody. And submissiveness really truly means obedience. And these things apply to all of Christianity. Men and women. And if we would all, just like Trish said, if we would all abide by what's being said here, we'd all be better off. Absolutely. So these things are not being singled out to women and about women. Now, we're going to just get started here. We're not going to have time to get into an explanation. We'll do that in the second hour. But in the second session, verse 12 to 14, it talks about man, um, women not exercising authority over a man, but remaining, women should remain quiet because after all, Adam was created first. What's that all about? How does that fit? And is that a chauvinistic perspective that the Bible is presenting to us? Well, we don't think it is, and we know that we can explain it. So stay with us for the second hour. Again, if we're not on your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, it's a very important subject. We'd love to hear your comments on in the second hour. Should we be gender neutral? What does the Bible say, and is the Bible relevant? After the news and all that, we'll be back. But till then, think about it. is Christian Questions. Stan Baldwin once said, I would rather trust a woman's instinct than a man's reason. And boy, does that show you the difference between the way men and women think. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what's that topic? Ah, this is a good one. Oh, it is, Rick. Our question this morning is, should we be gender neutral? Part 1. And our theme text comes from Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. 
And we are looking at the scriptures and looking at gender roles and uh, trying to, to see how the scriptures fit into our world. And do they fit or are they obsolete? Are they just cultural things from a, a time long gone by? Or are they actually relevant to today? And we also learned, Rick, that science says the brain works differently in men and women. Yes. And that see, that to me, that's a very, very significant part of this whole uh, conversation. And, you know, you were saying during the, during the break between the two hours that uh, something about it not being cookie cutter. Yeah, it's not cookie cutter because you'll see that some women have uh, uh, a technical, logical side and some men have more of an emotional side than most. So we've got to make sure we realize that it's just not black and white. You know, men are much more generally wired for perception and action. Women are much more generally wired for emotional intelligence. And you know, I, and you got to realize that we're not saying women are, are wired for emotion. They're wired for emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence, Jonathan, is a valuable commodity because oh, it, it takes the, the circumstance and not only applies some logic and reason to it, but it implies the sense of it. And that's something that, you know, sometimes as a man you look at and you have that glazed over look in your eye like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Right, and they make a lot of sense. Yeah, and they're and they're always right. You know, they're always <laughs> always right on that kind of thing. Always, I say, and <laughs> much to my dismay. Um, anyway, so we are going through some scriptures very specifically. We're spending a lot of time. This is going to be a two-part program because there's way too much to talk about. We're spending a lot of time in First Timothy two eleven to fifteen. We talked about a woman in verse eleven must be must be quiet, quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But we learned, Rick, that the whole church needs to do that, men and, and women. Right, and quiet really doesn't mean to zip your lip. It means don't busybody. Right, that's what it actually means. And submissiveness is part of what, like you said, the whole church is required to be a part of. Yes. In chapter First Timothy chapter two verses 12 to 14 we didn't actually why don't we read those and let's get started with those in, in this hour but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve and it was not Adam who was deceived but the woman being deceived fell into transgression all right so it certainly sounds like it certainly sounds like uh, it's like, well, it's all Eve's fault. She's the one who was deceived, so therefore, you know, that's why she has to remain quiet. And again, that's the same word. She shouldn't be a busybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and look, that is true. You shouldn't be a busybody. Women shouldn't be busybodies. Either should men. Right. So when you think about this, the Apostle Paul is going back to the original curse. See, that's what he's doing. Let's take a look at that very quickly here. Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That was part of the curse. And you notice that the curse given to the woman was about two lines long. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Paul's That's true. Yeah. He's referring to the curse, the original sin, and Paul is essentially upholding it. He's saying, you see, this was something that was proclaimed that I have to give honor to. Now, if we take a comparison and look at the curse on man, who gets the bigger lecture oh, from God? The man. <laughs> Five lines versus two, basically. All right. Go ahead. Let's read what's said to the man. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field." 
by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So really, the bottom line responsibility does fall upon the man. It does. The woman was deceived. There's no question about it. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. But the bottom line responsibility falls on the man for life and death. That's right. Now, the curse on woman, she will bear children in pain. In spite of that, her longing will still be to her husband. So another part of this curse is that her husband will rule over her, and rule does mean to have dominion. Yes, to so, cause to rule, to exercise dominion, right. So that's part of what God said would be the result of sin on mankind. So are we going to say that, well, God said it so we can just ignore it? Or how do, how do we handle that? Let's go back to the, and, and folks, listen, if you do have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And Rick, this is a great program to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. There's graphics, there's illustrations, bonus material. It's a partial transcript of what we're talking about. And it's a Bible study within itself. And all of the scriptures that we use are fully quoted there and all of the explanations and all the definitions. So this is really an important program. It really is. For CQ Rewind, the full edition. Sign up now at ChristianQuestions.com. It is a free service. Let's go back to uh, our the, the, the one woman pastor that we don't agree with, incidentally, um, from Ye- uh, Yes, uh, Yes. Yeshua loves you too. Um, uh, on the lies of complementarianism, uh, there are there's two schools of thought in Christianity. Complementarianism: man is supposed to uh, be in position of authority, and egalitarianism: no, he's not. <laughs> I mean, that, that's okay. really distilling it down. And here's and, and 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 she brings out what what I think is an interesting point. She talks about Jesus. Let's listen. Benefits from half of the body of Christ. Being told to sit down and shut up. Who benefits? Yahweh God or Satan? I mean, why is it that Jesus told a woman, of all people, go and tell the disciples that I have sinned to my father and your father and to my God and your God? Didn't Jesus know that that was a total violation of complementarianism? See, now, you know... She's right about what Jesus did and what Jesus said, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus' treatment of women in this hour. Mm -hmm. But, no, it is not a total violation of this complementarianism. Period. End of statement. And we're going to see, we are going to see how Jesus still upheld the principles of the curse. And didn't we already find that it doesn't mean to sit down and shut up? Right. Right. Now, there is another scripture in 1 Corinthians that even is, is stronger in those, along those lines. Okay. And we are not going to deal with that scripture today. We will in two weeks. Okay. All right? We're going to come and spend a lot of time on that. And we chose to do it in two parts because you don't want to skimp on any of this. Good point. Okay? So she's got this thing. What about Jesus? Well, so the big question is how did Jesus treat women? And what can we apply from his example? And does the Apostle Paul and his teachings agree with Jesus or does he sort of go his own way? These are important questions. And again, folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. So, you know, Jonathan, we always hear the, 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 about the, the initial initials WWJD what would Jesus do yes well let's change one of those initials there let's go WDJD what did Jesus do okay Jesus in dealing with women did several things that were very very unusual first of all he spoke 
to foreign women. And this was unheard of in that culture. John 4, 7 through 10. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the following Jesus lesson here is really simple. Women, no matter who they are, are worthy of great respect. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's a simple lesson, and Jesus did something that others wouldn't have done in that culture, but he stepped out, and he wasn't violating anything that the, that, that, that the, the law said. No, he wasn't. He wasn't violating anything about God's command to, to humankind. He just was being respectful, and that is of great value. So, Jonathan, in, in, the, in, this, in the Second Timothy scripture that we're taking so much time on, First Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 2, um, the Apostle Paul went back to the law, uh, to, the, to the curse rather, and he honored it. And that's why he brought that up. He's reminding those, Timothy specifically, that look, this is what God said. We have to respect what God said. Jesus, in his example there, is saying that the curse doesn't mean there is no respect. That's not what it means. Okay? Good point. Now, let's get on to uh, verse 15 of First Timothy chapter 2. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children. If they continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint. Now this, in some, some people can look at this verse and say, wow, that's really threatening. It's like, well, if you do this, then that can happen. And otherwise, boy, are you going to suffer? You know, but that's, again, I really don't believe what that means. Now, we have to go slowly with these, these, what these words mean. It says, women will be preserved. What does it mean to be preserved? Rick, it means to save, deliver, or protect. Okay. An interesting use of that word, it also, it's also translated to be made whole. Okay. Okay. Mark 5.28 is a great example of that. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. I shall be whole. I shall be preserved. Delivered. So, per- yeah. So, yeah. So, in other words, I will be completed I will be complete again through the healing process. Mm -hmm. So I think if you take that kind of a thought, it it makes a little bit more sense. Women will be made whole or or, or complete through the, the, the childbearing process. The words the words for bearing of children not only means giving birth, but it also means child rearing. And uh parentage. Right. Yeah. So it's parenting. So I think that what it means, preserved means to be made whole or to be complete. Childbearing is also parentage. So women are not supposed to have authority over men. Okay, this is, The apostle says that. And we, we believe that to be a scriptural truth. Uh, but will be completed in the raising of their children. Okay. In other words, there is a compensating blessing in that family relationship in the raising of children. Well, Rick, what if a woman is not married or can't have kids? And that's an incredibly important question because you can't say that, okay, so all Christians then, in order to be able to fulfill this responsibility, have to get married and have to have kids. Because that's not what this is saying. But it's saying that for the general Christian population, and again, it is talking to Christians, that was the way life seemed to work. You get married and you have a family. And folks, look, if you look at history, getting married and having a family was what, I don't know what the percentage is, 98, 99% of the, the, the people did in society. 
That's what they did. So it makes perfect sense to use that as the baseline and then grow from there when you're doing dealing with um, uh, other other aspects of life. Folks, if you have a thought, again, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free 866-985-4ALL. We're on live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right. Um, if... N- Women are not married or can't have kids. It doesn't mean that they don't have a role. Okay. Interestingly, well, yeah. Let's do that. Let, let's let's go to the context. The next verse. Okay. Very quickly. This is First Timothy chapter three, verses one through two. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable able to teach. Alright, so the next verse, because remember the original manuscripts weren't divided into chapters. Right, is, right. It's talking about the role of men, and it really, it, it immediately goes into what it re- it's required to be a, a, a teacher within uh, within the church. So, why wouldn't, wouldn't women be in a position to teach? Don't they know enough? Weren't they trustworthy? I mean, what what is it that you're saying that, that makes it so uh, so un- incomprehensible for them to get to that that place in, in, the, in the Christian community? That's a very important question, just like the question about not having children. Where do women fit? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should we be gender neutral? Coming up, so did the Apostle Paul overlook or minimize the talents of women? And what about Peter's defining of women's roles? That's next. The now in today's Christian. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick. Our subject this morning, Should We Be Gender Neutral? Part 1. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, we're looking at, we've spent a lot of time on uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Well, Rick, you really didn't answer the question, what if a woman is not married or can't have kids? And, and, and I'm glad, glad you brought that up, because that's a very, very important part of this discussion. Let's do this. Let's go, we've got another soundbite we want to go to now first, and then let's deal directly with that question, because I think there is not only an answer scripturally, but there is a, a magnificent scriptural answer. This next soundbite, Jonathan, is from Prager University. They did this whole discussion on men and women, the way they think, and, and, and the differences in the way they think. And uh, this is men, and uh, in, in they're thinking, what brings them safety and security in their thinking? Let's listen. If we're going to bring out the best of each other, we have to understand that the masculine and feminine aspects of our natures experience survival and therefore safety and security in different ways. For the masculine, survival depends upon one's ability to produce results. So the masculine will feel safe and secure when they have the greatest opportunity to produce results. And that comes when they are respected and trusted by the people that they work with and the people that they care for. All right, there you go. And I saw you nodding your head during that. 
Yes, respected and uh, trusted. That, that That's important. And, and so it gives you a sense of the way the man's brain works. Now, we're going to get to the women in their safety and security in just a moment. But let's get to the question. Okay, what about a woman's role within the church? What kinds of things, if they're not supposed to teach, and I really believe that they're not supposed to teach, okay, within within the church, okay, what do they do? And did the Apostle Paul, just look at women as second-class citizens, because, you know, when you read First Timothy like that, you say, well, he doesn't think too highly of women. I think he, that's not the case at all. And I think it's provable in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And these are great scriptures, Jonathan. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. So, this is the Apostle Paul. What a testimony of respect for this sister in Christ. Um, now, it says that she was a, a servant in the church in Centuria. Mm-hmm. The, the, that's the same word that's used for deacon. Okay. Now, was she a deacon in the church? Well, there are different thoughts on that. Seeker Rewind, the full edition, has bonus material. We're not going to touch that today, but it's in the bonus material. Okay. You can sign up for Seeker Rewind, the full edition, at ChristianQuestions.com. It's a free service, and it's going to give you all of the explanations we're talking about, all of the scriptures and graphics and illustrations. And it's just a tool to help you understand the points that we're trying to make. All right. So you are mentioning that a woman shouldn't teach in the church. But what about preaching? What about her responsibilities in the church? Well, and here's the thing. You know, especially if, if women are not in a position of being married to have children, you say, okay, do, are they useless in the church? Are you kidding me? Come on, look at what Phoebe, who Phoebe was in this example. And the Apostle Paul says that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. So he puts her in a position of saying, I need this help on this, I need you to do this, I need this, and I need this. A lot of people get confused with the words teach and preach. Yes. And women are supposed to be preaching the good news. Because preaching is toward the world. Right. This is bringing the gospel to the world. To everyone around them. The teaching has to do with the formal uh, teaching within the confines of the church. Those are two very different places. Towards the congregation. Toward the congregation. Okay. And that is where there, there are lines drawn. But understand, Jonathan, woman's role is to participate in spreading the gospel. Because that's what Phoebe was doing. That's what the apostle said. To assist the brotherhood and to hold positions of responsibility so that the gospel can continue to be preached and so that the church can run the way it's supposed to run. So this is not saying this is not maligning women saying well you know you can't do this 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 and you can't do this and by the way you can't do that. What about the role of teaching children the good news in in Christianity? And that and, and people say oh so you're going to go that road you're going to go down that road and say well you can still teach the children you know and and you know do you understand something Jonathan those who teach the children control society. Say that again. Those who teach the children control society. That's what we know happens. You have an extraordinary power in your hands when you teach children. And responsibility. And nobody should take that lightly. Nobody should take that responsibility lightly. And, and, and there are many scriptures that talk about, um, talk about the women's responsibility to do that. So they're handed one of the most important responsibilities of all. In teaching children. Let's go to another soundbite, Jonathan. Uh, women and their zones of safety and security. This, again, is from Prager University. 
The feminine, on the other hand, experiences safety and security when she feels connected, when she's getting the attention and the interest that she needs from the people around her that give her a nearly constant sense of being connected and therefore safe and secure. All right. They have that need to be connected, and that comes from the way their brains work. Right, and have attention on them. So, and, and, and that's part of the responsibility of the man, right. to, to make sure that those, things are, are, those needs are, are fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very different approach than the way a, a man's brain works. And what we need to do is understand, interestingly, that the roles given to us through Scripture exactly fit the makeup of men and women. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, God is really smart. (laughs) That's what I've concluded. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's go back to another, what did Jesus do regarding women um, that were following him? And and, and that's just the point. Jesus did have women follow him. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chuaz, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Now, think about that. There are very specific names named here, and it says, and many others. And then it says, who provided for them, for Jesus and the apostles, out of their resources. So now think about the value of those women. It's huge. It is, it is, you can't, it's priceless. You can't, you can't quantify the value because what those women did in their following and their, and their, and their plugging the gap, so to speak, is they gave Jesus free reign to do what he was supposed to do. Think about the incredible value. Now, did they stand up and take a bow? No. They did what they were, they could. And that's the, the incredible thing. So the follow Jesus lesson here is women as disciples have just as much to offer in the service of the gospel as men. They truly do. Folks, that's what Jesus is teaching us. And so what would the woman's role be here? Be uh, equity esteemed followers of Jesus. Provide for the needs of others. And, the, and when you think about it, that's an, something that I think women generally are very are much, much better suited for than men. Oh, absolutely. Providing for the needs of others. Oh, yeah. Don't ask me to They're provide. They're so sensitive. For, if you ask me to provide for the needs of others, they'd freeze and starve to death in about a half an hour. <laughs> What? You needed what? I, I missed it. <laughs> I didn't see it. Couldn't you go do that yourself? Come on. What's wrong with you? I mean, so, so you get a sense that because of the differences, because, again, the complementarianism versus the egalitarianism perspectives, because men and women are created to be complementary, the scriptures actually tell us how that complementary approach really, really works. Now, we've spent a lot of time. Folks, if you have a thought. It is 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday morning from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning live from 7 to 9. Join us on our website and join the conversation any day or time only at christianquestions.com and if you'd like to send a personal email you can do that as well at rick r-i-c-k at christianquestions.net we've talked a lot about the apostle paul yes he's not the only apostle that did any writing we've got the apostle peter to deal with. yes we do so 
Another set of scriptures defining women's roles. This time it's from the Apostle Peter. Let's see. Is he in agreement with the Apostle Paul? Is he different? First Peter 3, 1 to 4. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by thy conversation of wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So again, if you read the last few verses, you say, yeah, everybody can sort of agree with that, but the first few verses, they say, wait a minute, what is this? Women, be wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Um, and- Chaste. Yeah, chaste, yeah. you know, what's it, what, what is all this? But, and it says, be in subjection to your own husbands, even if they do not obey the word. So in other words, if you have been converted to Christianity and your husband is still pagan, you, the Apostle Peter says, you should still be in subjection to him. Now, what does it mean to be in subjection? It means to subordinate reflexively to obey. And that's very similar to one of the words for subjection in, in, the, uh, in the first hour we talked that's about. That's right, it is. Okay. But now, what does it mean that it says the reason you do that that they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives well wow the that's interesting the word conversation means a manner of life conduct or behavior so in other words your behavior without even having to to say something cuz you know so and it's not saying you have to zip your lip what it's saying is sometimes people don't want to hear it Okay, and we've all come across that. Mm-hmm. People don't want to be told, don't tell me about this Christianity thing. I don't want to hear it. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one anytime. Exactly, and that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. He's saying, by your behavior, you can show your husband over time. There is something magnificent about this thing called Christianity. And who knows? Maybe his mind will open. You know, the other thing in this verse that talks about it says, a woman should be chaste. And we think of, what, well, what does chaste mean? Clean, innocent, modest, exciting reverence, venerable, oh. s- sacred. So clean, innocent, and, and modest. In other words, you live a very upright life in Christ because you are a living example of Christ. Now, now the one word that um, I, I picked out was coupled with fear. Oh, so you're supposed to fear your husband. Oh, no. No. That word means to revere or respect. And isn't that how men are wired? They need that respect and trust? Exactly. So that they can feel good about the relationship. And so when you help, if you are married to a non-believer and you help your husband to feel that respect and you give them that security, you're giving it to him through Christ. And you see the incredible value of that. And you're right. See, this fits exactly with the way men's brains work and women's brains work. Absolutely. I mean, God is the author of the way men and women, their brains work. So when we have these guidelines, it is for the purpose of of, of maximizing what we naturally have. Right. How about that? I mean, come on, people, come on. You know, the idea of being chaste, it sounds like, you know, is that something that's just for women? Philippians 4, uh, verse 8. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. Now, the word pure in that verse, mm-hmm. because, you know, Philippians 4.8 is a verse we read all the time. Sure, whatever is pure. Mm-hmm. Same word is chaste. Oh, clean, innocent, modest. So, again, being in subjection, we all have to subordinate to Christ. And that's something we haven't talked about from a scriptural standpoint, but that's a scriptural fact. All of us are subordinate to Christ. Mm-hmm. All of us must be chaste. And all of us in our conversation, our behavior must be reflective of Jesus. So what this is saying is that women and men have to abide by the same guidelines. They do. The only additional thing here is that the woman is supposed to be in a subordinate role to their husband. The husband is supposed to be the head of the house. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that have a hard time with that. And I'm sorry that you have a hard time with that. But when you realize the way the curse was worded Mm -hmm. originally, what the apostles are doing and what it seems Jesus has done is they have abided by the guidelines of that curse but lifted women as high as they possibly could. Um, One last scripture, uh, James 3.13. Who was a wise man and endowed with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. See, same thing. Men show good conversation, therefore good behavior. So the woman's role in the church here is to be clothed with humility in dress and behavior to clearly reflect Jesus in their lives. Is that offensive? Come on. No. It is not. Now, we might have a hard time getting over the being subject to your husband, but think of it in terms of if that's the way God designed it because sin entered, then who are we to take that and say, no, that's really not what I want. I don't think that matters anymore. Hey, it's the 21st century. Grow up. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should we be gender neutral? Part one. Coming up. So, what is our conclusion? Is the Bible fair with gender? or not. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, should we be gender neutral, part one. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, Jonathan, this is part one of a two-part program. And yes. it, it's important to realize, folks, there are several scriptures we have not even touched in this program. And we left them out purposely because you don't want to just touch on them but not really delve into them. Right. So that's the necessity for a second part. Um, so what's our conclusion? We're going to look at this and say, okay, is, is, the, is the Bible fair with gender? And you know what? The Bible is fair with gender in the context of sin. That's yes, right. Yes, it is. But is, is, is all gender treatment exactly fair, in, in other words, exactly equal? No, actually it's not. Okay, that, I mean, just just to put it out on the table. But here's an, here, here is absolute fairness in this next scripture. And it's not a nice fairness, but it's absolute fairness. Acts, three, Acts 8, I'm sorry, verses 3 and 4. But Saul, being ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered about were preaching the word. So it didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul later, went after you. That's right. Dragged you off and put you in prison. Showing a value of both. And it says, therefore, those who had been scattered, the men and women, 
who got away from him preached the word. All of them preached the word. Yes. So there is an incredible equality right there, both in the persecution and in the privilege. Of preaching. Right, of preaching. So just, it just gives you a sense of, of, of great equality in that area. Jonathan, why don't we go to the phones? All right, well, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday. To you, too. And we have Acts sixteen fourteen. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God and a dealer in purple cloth. One of the most important Christians in early church history was a businesswoman. In the Old Testament... Ruth was a woman of initiative, and it was a woman who said yes to God's plan for humanity. Luke one thirty eight. Then Mary said, here I, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. We are called to know, love, and serve God. We perform our duties as man and woman to do so. But our call to Christ transcends any gender role or job that we have. Proverbs thirty one thirty one Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. Take care. It brings out very very classic, very good examples oh, of, yeah. of women holding high respect and responsibility in Scripture. And, and see, folks, that's the point here. There is high respect and responsibility uh, shown to women. It just It's within the context of a certain, and, and Julius in the first hour used this, the, the word hierarchy, within a certain hierarchy within the church. It doesn't mean that women can't excel and, and, and do whatever it is they do outside of the church, but within the church there are guidelines. It's really simple. Why are those guidelines there? Because God wanted them there, because they show us the curse, and they also show us a picture of Christ and the church, the man to the woman, Christ and the church. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you have more to say after the program, you can write us at P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. Let's take one more look at the Apostle Paul's respect for women. And Jonathan, again, this is another powerful scripture that probably gets overlooked a lot. Acts 18, 24 to 26. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed by the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. So you have this man, uh, Apollos, who the Apostle Paul you know, really honors oh, yes. in his writings, yes. who is brilliant and, and, and coming and understanding Jesus, and he's preaching, but he's not quite full in his understanding of truth. So what happens? But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It doesn't say when Aquila uh, heard him, he took him aside um, to explain it more accurately. And Priscilla was quiet. Right, no, it right, doesn't say right. that. So, so the apostle is showing respect, his, his respect for women here. He does not say that Aquila did all the talking and Priscilla was just his arm candy. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you got to realize, folks, uh. this is the reality of Scripture. And if you want to understand the role of men and women in Scripture, you've got to see how women excel 
in so many areas in Scripture and say, you know what, this is not some bigoted approach. This is, this is a valuable approach, incredibly valuable. Let's go back to a soundbite, Jonathan, again from Prager University. Uh, and this is about men, and this is, this is really, I love this one, because it's about men and single focus. How true. <laughs> Let's listen. Now, one of the problems is that men and women have instincts that literally antagonize the other's caveman or cavewoman. So, for example, the way that a man thinks, which we call single focus, will cause him to pay attention to one thing at a time. So if he's watching television, the woman in his life may feel ignored, and she'll get this incredible sense of tension in her body, and she'll try to do things to connect with him, and connect with him, and connect with him, which as a single focus person, he's going to experience as an interruption and be annoyed by it and cause a downward spiral. So she sounds like she was describing you there, Jonathan. Uh. <laughs> the way you were reacting, if we had a, if we had a webcam, people you could see it. But uh, <laughs> don't do it. Don't talk to me while I'm watching TV. No. <laughs> but you know, single focus. That's the way men think. Uh, what that, about that caveman thing? Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? You take it, with, take it with a grain of salt. Okay. That's all. All right. What did Jesus do in his treatment of women? Uh, he treated women as respectfully as he treated men. And again, this is another great scripture that really, really puts things in perspective. Luke thirteen ten to 16. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And then the Pharisees get all bent out of shape about what are you doing on the Sabbath? You shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. But, it, but here's, here's what happens. But the Lord answered and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage? On the Sabbath day? So A, he healed a woman. B, it was on the Sabbath day. But C, he called her a daughter of Abraham. There is full respect Absolutely. in that title. You don't see that phrase anywhere else. And so Jesus is calling her a daughter of Abraham to show incredible, incredible respect for her. She had amazing value in his eyes. So the following Jesus lesson here is simple. Be outward in our respect for women as special before God. Amen. And so Jesus teaches us how to treat women along with the apostles, and you put them both together and you get a complete picture. Let's get to now, Jonathan, our last soundbite for today, uh, again from Prager University. Um, you know, the last one was men and their single focus issue. This one I just don't get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> women and their detail issue. Let's listen. On the other hand, women have an instinct that causes them to want to be scrupulously accurate in their details. So if a man is telling a story and he says something happened on a Tuesday that she thinks happened on a Wednesday, she'll interrupt him and correct that story. If this is in front of other people, it's going to cause a problem. Because if it's someone whose respect and trust he needs and she's now intimated that he lies or exaggerates, that's going to be a problem. So... Again, what it what it boils down to is we just see life differently in so many ways. And that's okay. It, it's not only okay, it's a really, really important thing. 
and, and, and just just a quick example along these lines, uh, and, and I've told I've said this before several times on on, on the program. Um, you know, in raising children, there were I'm I'm the head of our household, uh, the, and we 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 work with that. But there have been many times, and when our children were young, when my wife would Trish would come to me and say, you know, Rick, uh, this this child or that child really needs some extra attention right now. Here's what, it, and at the beginning, it was like, yeah, you know, how how do you think you know that? And after a while, I got to figure out that every time she said it, she was always right. Mm-hmm. And I learned to never even question it. Mm-hmm. And basically, my I learned to say, okay, what do you think I should do? Because she would always have a really good idea along with the really pertinent and valuable observation. Mm-hmm. And that's that difference in the way we think. And so what she did is she set me on a path, and then I could be single-focused. <laughs> okay, now <laughs> I, I got, got it. it. Now I can do it. All right. Let me, okay, I'm ready to go. I, I'm, go- I'm good. And you see the incredible value. And Jonathan, one last thing here. I don't. We probably won't get through all these scriptures, but if women have this desire to 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 teach within the church, and and maybe there are women who are, and I won't say maybe there are women who are qualified in terms of knowledge and communication to be able to do so. And you say, well, if I've got those qualifications, why can't I use them? And I think the answer to that is because God is asking us to focus on doing things his way. And isn't it better to do things his way and fulfill his will rather than fulfill my will for me? Now, that's a good point. You might you might not like that, but you've got to think about it in terms of sometimes humility. I won't say sometimes, all the time. Humility is the better way. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Our goal is to do God's will, not our own. And, you know, with men and women, we are different, but we are equal in Christ. Philippians 4, 1 to 3, just read verse 3. And I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So, it's interesting because when you when you talk, you look at this verse, this is again the Apostle Paul saying, help these women. They're doing work, they are valuable, and they need your help, all of you, men and women alike. So when we know we say, well, women shouldn't have any position of any kind of authority or responsibility, baloney. That's not what the Apostle Paul taught. Look at the body of the Apostle Paul's teaching, and you see that he treats these women with incredible respect, and he says, their names are in the book of life. Wow. Do not <laughs> minimize what they're doing and how they're doing it. We are different but equal. Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what this scripture is saying is the equality it's talking about is the equality of the call to Christ. The opportunity. And the reward. That's awesome. It's all the same. Do you understand that the reward for the the, the, the individual who may be the greatest teacher of of, 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 of of Scripture within the church, the reward is the same as a woman who doesn't maybe speak up a lot, but but does do her, her job with all of her diligence? It's the same reward. That's an incredible equality. And folks, isn't, certainly is. isn't that what we're, we're angling towards? And then, you know, remember in the first hour, we had that uh, woman quote the scripture, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. What's the lesson of that? Let's read that scripture one last time. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstance I am. 
I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So if you take that scripture in context, the Apostle Paul is saying, I know how it is to not have things the way I would like them to be, and I know how it is to have things the way I would like them to be. So for those of you women who say, I should be able to teach in the church, look at that scripture from that standpoint, because that's the way the Apostle Paul is meaning it. He's saying, I know that all of these things that are happening in my life are for a reason, and I can do and accept all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the meaning of that scripture. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. Part two will come in a couple of weeks. There's so much more to say. There's so many more scriptures we didn't talk about. But today, hopefully, you got a sense that the Bible teaches us to make men and women complementary to one another in our lives. And in fact, we're created to be complementary. Let's accept that and embrace it because life is so much more valuable that way. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, until next week, should we be gender neutral? Absolutely not. Till next week. Think about it.